Deep pattern, downfield, touchdown Miami. What a throw, Devontae Parker. Holy smokes, what a drive. What is up, Dolph fans, and welcome to the Drive Time Podcast, part of the Miami Dolphins Podcast Network, covering your team, your Miami Dolphins. How's it going, everybody? Happy Friday. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, and it's a football Friday and a fan Friday, we're going to hear from you guys in the Twitter mailbag. We're going to welcome in John Kinjemi into the podcast. We're going to pick the NFL games for week six, talk about the best college games around the landscape this coming week for scouting purposes for next year's draft. We're also going to talk some movies and television shows. Plenty to get to here on this edition of the Drive Time Podcast from the Baptist Health Studios inside the Baptist Health Training Complex. You guessed it. This is the Drive Time Podcast. That's another Miami Dolphins. And we'll kick this Friday show off as we normally do. Actually, hang on one second. Two things I want to discuss real quick. So I think most of you guys out there listening to this podcast know this, but I still get asked all the time, how did you get so into the X's and O's or the schematics or the finer points, the details of the game itself of football? And my answer to that is always that I loved it so much and just couldn't get enough content through any possible avenue. And I approached that content like an absolute sponge. And that was the true, that was true regardless of, of what the content was, whether it was a podcast, a coaching clinic on YouTube, or even a show like Hard Knocks. And one of the stories I always tell is about blocking and leverage from an episode of Hard Knocks a few years back. I want to say it was the Cleveland Browns. It escaped my memory. But it was a young tight end who was struggling at the point with his with his blocking in line. And he would lunge into his block without using the ground to help him generate more force. And what I mean by that is when you come out of your stance Rather than regathering the feet to generate force from the base, like the ground, the feet, the knees, up through the hips and up into the punch, he was throwing his hands in between those steps. And so he didn't have a base to generate that power and to hold that anchor. And a veteran pulls him aside and shows him how you use that first step to come kind of together to gather and get into position to then throw the hands out of the next step so that you're grounded, so that it's all one fluid motion. And that's how I learned a little bit more about blocking technique. Stuff like that over the course of 15 years. Now, there's more to it than the literal hours I would block out back in my Locked On Dolphins days and now as well, like in the summertime and whatnot, to read books and to watch clinics and just kind of watch film and read other people's breakdowns and gather more perspective and knowledge on this entire thing that we love so much with the Dolphins, with the National Football League, with college football, the scouting process, and trying to make ourselves smarter and better football fans. Like, that's how I got here, right? And there's a point to all this. Please allow me to get there. Football content for me has always been everything. Scott Van Pelt, Sports Center on Sunday nights, one of the best shows out there, still is. Then on Monday night, my favorite segment of his, the Bad Beats segment, watching Inside the NFL on Showtime for years. Back in the day, it was NFL Playbook on NFL Network with Brian Baldinger. Listening to a podcast, it's more about the irreverent stuff, like the Around the NFL podcast, and of course, the games. Every single primetime game is fun to watch for me, especially now in this job, when I don't get to watch as much on Sundays. I really look forward to the primetime games, but it's even more enjoyable when the Dolphins are right in the thick of things, especially 
when the game impacts the possible playoff picture for your Miami Dolphins, i.e. the Ravens and Browns game last year, where if Lamar Jackson just has an upset stomach, using air quotes, for one more play, maybe the Dolphins get the playoffs at 10-6. and But I digress. The point is, I've been just a little bit less enthused by all the football content lately. So the point, I've been watching more shows and movies, and just... The other night, I finished up the new Chappelle Hour, eh, and it wasn't my favorite. And I watched two other things that left me with a lot of questions here. And we're getting off the rails, I know that, but just stay with me here. Let's start with the movie, and it was old. M. Night Shyamalan's movie. I think I tweeted about this back in the summer that, was that when the movie came out, this summer? I tweeted that I wanted to watch it because it was an original idea in a sea of remakes and sequels. Like, I was excited about something that I hadn't seen a concept of or the idea of previously. And I knew what I was getting into. I know what M. Night does. Boom, twist, he got you. But man, this one, I don't really even have any questions, actually. But you know what it reminded me of? And this is a spoiler alert incoming if you haven't seen the movie. You ever do, like, your homework back in your school years? For me, it was college or high school. Or something where you just put in a bunch of time and you know it's going to be at least B-level work and they kind of run out of time at the end, and you kind of just rush through it and end up just try to get to the deadline and get with what you have. I'm guilty of this a lot in college, but hey, 3.8, magna cum laude. Let's go, baby. Go Cougs. That was this movie. And with all Shyamalan movies, I love the concept. It's great, but no, it's going to have me saying, ah, oh, come on, man. Like, no, no, by the very end of it. Like The Village, for instance. What the hell was that? And that's what you sign up for with M. Night. But this one, man... I'm going to spoil it right now for you guys, so go ahead and skip ahead 30 seconds or a minute or so if you intend to watch this flick, and good on you if you do. So they go to this island recommended by the vacation, vacation resort that this island makes your cells age at a rapid pace to the point that your entire life condenses down into the course of one day, and you can't escape the island. I won't tell you why. But everyone on the island dies, but this brother and sister who, when they arrived, were 11 and 6 years old. The sister, 11, the brother, 6. Now, they're in their 50s after like 15 hours at this place, and they, they basically accepted their fate at this point. But the man pulls this letter out of his, I think, pocket that he forgot that he had, and it was written by another six-year-old that he befriended at the resort before going to the beach because he was also six at that time. And it says, my uncle hates the coral. Now, the little boy's uncle who wrote that is the resort manager. So the man and the sister see this coral reef out in the middle of the ocean, and they hold their breath for, I don't know, a solid 25 minutes, miraculously, then swim out to the coral and just kind of (laughs) disappear. Then it pans to M. Night as an actor in his own movie who is up on the ridge. And by the way, M. Night's acting, it's, hey, man, like when you kill the guy's wife and signs, maybe a little bit more remorse could could be had. But he's up on this ridge watching everybody out there on the beach with binoculars, and he walkies into the resort manager after the two the men and women swim to the coral, and he says, all subjects from Control Group 73 have deceased. Then they cut to a scene in this lab with like 50 scientists, and the manager of it all, who's actually also a scientist, announced to the group that the medicine they gave to one of the other people that went to the beach would treat her epilepsy, and it worked. It, it solved her seizures. And then he reveals that this is why we do this. It allows us to test medicine trials that would take a lifetime, and it gets it done in one day. And it was definitely written in a way like no one would ever talk to a team of scientists that clearly know the point of this speech and why they're killing people, but he's given the speech only for the audience, which feels so cheap as a moviegoer, or in this case, a couchgoer. 
Then the brother and sister show up at the resort just randomly. They don't tell you how the coral thing worked, how they got back, nothing. And then the movie just sort of ends. And I audibly say at the end, and mind you, it's midnight. I'm in the living room on the couch by myself. And I just instinctively say out loud, M. Night, you got me again, sir. So if you want to watch old, go for it. But I thought I had to talk about it because it was on my mind and I thought it was terrible. What you should watch is Squid Game, a great show. But I have one question, another spoiler here, so skip ahead about 15 seconds. The final comes down to the two people, right? But I was wondering, was there a possible outcome where more than one person wins and they split the money? That was the impression that I had early on, but as the show went along, they made it seem like there could only be one winner. Is that right? Let me know on Twitter, at NFL. I want your Squid Game takes, and put spoiler tags on that when you do it too. All right, sorry about that. I had to get it off my chest. Let's go ahead and welcome in John Kinjemi and talk Dolphins Jags. And let's give a warm welcome as we do weekly to our guest here on the Friday Drive Time Podcast, John Kinjemi. And John, we got to start here this week, my friend, because Tua Tungavailoa could be making his return to the Dolphins lineup. If he is, what do you expect to see from him this week if he does, in fact, play on Sunday? Well, I believe Travis, he's going to play. He's going to start this football game, and I think he's going to play well. I I think it's another opportunity for Tua just to lead this offense, to be the starting quarterback, to be the guy that he wants to be. He's had some time now to get healthy, to sit and watch, and I think you're going to see a little bit, hopefully a little bit of what the game plan was at Tampa, allowing Tua to get into that a little bit. What I mean by that is, getting guys down the field, trying to push the football down the field that allows some more room for intermediate throws. It has some room for some checkdowns. We saw Miles Gaskin have a really nice productive afternoon catching the football. And I think you'll see a little bit more RPO back in it with the, the play fake and the opportunity to run it in the red zone, to throw a quick slant, uh, to do some things like that. But I, I want to see this Dolphin offense be in that Tampa Bay mindset, that mode on offense, especially the way they started the game before Jacoby hurt his hamstring because he was able to move around, extend some plays, push the football down the field. And I think Tua has the same types of qualities in his game. When he gets flushed, he can extend plays, throw the football down the field, keep drives alive. And and that's what I want to see the aggression back in the Dolphin offense in terms of play calling and execution. Yeah, I still think some of the best possessions of the entire season go back to that week one game, both opening drives of either half and then also to close that game, the check at the line of scrimmage to go to the pass of Devontae Parker when they're backed up on first and 14 in a situation where you don't convert a first down, you probably lose that game because the the opposing, you know, the Patriots offense needs just one or two first downs at that point to get back into field goal range. So some big time stuff there. And, you know, one interesting aspect of Tua coming back or, or Jacoby playing was I saw that Jacoby 46% of his passes went to went to backs and tight ends do you think that that will change with Tua back under center or is that kind of a product of the offense I think it's a little bit of both you know it comes down as a quarterback what do they give you you know what, what are they trying to take away and what do you have an opportunity to keep drives alive and make positive plays you never want to you know, create a negative play by pushing a football into a crowded area or trying to get too greedy. And I think that's a product of sometimes what the defense gives you. Now, you're always going to have an outlet. You're always going to have your read that if everything works out, your back foot hits, balls out on time, you locate it, and you move on. But I think that's a product of what do the Dolphins, how are they trying to generate offense? That's been a problem. Points have been a problem. 
yards uh, per play have been a problem in the passing game. Just continuity on offense has been an issue. So how, what are, what's easy, I think it comes back to. So you run routes down the field, you try to be more aggressive against Tampa Bay. What does that do? It gives you more room underneath. It makes linebackers and corners and guys get off the line of scrimmage. So naturally, you have some athletes in space. Uh, you've got Ahmed that can do it. We know Miles can do it. Uh, so you have some, some issues there to take advantage of. You know, the defense can only take away so much. And if you're on time and you have a good plan in place, there should be somewhere to go with the football. And I think that's just another way of extending the run game. Uh, it's a... It's a way to run the football without actually running it. Yeah, you know, yeah. you can check the football down and, and they're an extension of that run game. And it's a lot easier because you're in the flow of still being maybe in a hurry up or no huddle, get to the line, ball's gone and the defense gets tired. So I think that's just a byproduct of where the Dolphins want to be offensively. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because one of the points I made on the Thursday preview podcast was that the Titans had some designed runs for Ryan Tannehill last week. And, you know, with the injury to Tua, maybe you don't want to put him through the possible risk or exposure of that. But I think that added element can really help the offense in terms of just the stuff that Tua helps bring to the offense with additional design runs or maybe some more RPO stuff like you mentioned there. Good stuff as always, John. Now, in order to get the production we want, I'm also glad you mentioned, you know, this game is kind of an opportunity for Miami to get going in terms of their offensive ranks. Cause like you mentioned and defense too, like it's not been good across the board, but you know, I talked about the numbers in the podcast on Thursday that this Jacksonville team has some numbers of their own that are not favorable. So this is a good opportunity for the dolphins to kind of get things going. And hopefully that happens in order for that to happen. I think we need to see this offensive line continue to gel and get better. I was curious what you saw from the reshuffled offensive line with Jackson and Eichenberg on the left side and Davis back at tackle. Did you like what you saw? Is there some long-term potential there for those guys? I think so. I think Coach mentioned that during the week in, in one of his press conferences that he likes the long, long-term potential of where that could go. Um, I, I do too. I, I'm all for production. I'm for uh, guys getting in a position and staying there and getting five guys uh, on the line of scrimmage and playing with those five guys. It falls going pretty well. And uh, at, at times last week, I thought it did go pretty well. I think that Austin Jackson is going to have to really uh, change his game a little bit, especially his pad level, because inside he's going to be going up against bigger guys. And you, if you're off a little bit and you lose leverage, man, a couple of times he was in Jacoby's uh uh, shadow, I guess, in the pocket. <laughs> and that's going to have to change a little bit. But I thought Eichenberg did a fairly good job on the left side. Jesse's back on the right side at tackle. So I, I think it was better. Uh, and I think they can improve on where they left off last week and, and go from that starting point and just get better. Now, now, front seven for Jacksonville can give you some issues. So you still have to be uh, very aware and, and be very good in identifying guys, getting a big guy on a big guy and letting the back take a, a safety or a linebacker when he's coming. So those are the types of things you want to be able to have no errors, no mental errors, and, and really no physical errors uh, like we saw last week at certain times in pass protection. You may have a chance to run the football a little bit more uh, against Jacksonville than you did Tampa Bay. So I'm interested to see how well this, this new offensive line setup does if they do decide to run the football. We have John Congemi here talking Dolphins and Jags here on the Drive Time Podcast, a Friday for you guys, October the 15th. And you mentioned running the football. 
That's something Jacksonville does very well, John. James Robinson is one of my favorite players to watch. A UDFA last year, had a big season. Right now he's off to another big season. How do you slow down Robinson in this Jacksonville run game? Because to me, John, and correct me if I'm wrong, to me, that's the one path to losing this game is to let James Robinson go crazy. So how do you stop that? And what do you think about the Dolphins' ability to do so? They have to be able to move the line of scrimmage, uh, Travis. They have to be able to create some type of penetration in the run game that makes Robinson reroute. So he's not hitting the line of scrimmage at full speed. He's having to stop maybe a couple U-turn runs in the backfield and then start again. That's where the Miami Dolphins can take advantage of what they do defensively. And, and they haven't been able to do that with enough consistency. We've been talking a lot about you know, the deficiencies on offense, maybe the offensive line and not being able to push the football down the field, score points. Well, on defense, they haven't been able to get those tackles for loss. You know, get, get a strip sack because somebody's breaking free. Do the little things that could potentially change a football game. And especially when you're focusing in on James Robinson, you have to be able to, you know, move Brandon Linner at center, move him in the backfield, or, you know, move one of the guards or Cam Robinson, whoever it is at tackle, move those guys and, and create penetration so you can create a stalemate in the backfield. If the Dolphins can get that done early, it's going to help them get off the field and hopefully win some field position for their offense. John, one thing I'm glad you mentioned there was Brandon Linder, who is, when I watch the Jacksonville Jaguars on tape, he's the one that stands out on the offensive line. He actually just went to the injured reserve this week, so he got banged up last week. He'll miss the game on Sunday, and Tyler Shatley steps in to replace him, as well as possibly the right guard as well, with A.J. Can being out and Ben Barch coming in. So they're they're kind of banged up on the offensive line, and maybe that's a way Miami can get that penetration you talk about there. Now, if they are going to stop Robinson... Another guy they're going to have to stop, too, is Trevor Lawrence. Because I think that right now Lawrence has this perception about he's not playing well just based upon the numbers. But when I watch him, he gets better every single week. And he's also making plays that, you know, it's going to be tough for a rookie to hit the ground running with everything that you have to do as a quarterback, right, John? Like reading the defense, figuring out the answers to that defense and putting your guys in position to have the right concepts and the right checks and the right protection. It's a lot for a rookie quarterback. But what Trevor can do, in my opinion, is he can make the plays off structure he can make up for a play call that loses and I think that the Dolphins have to be wary of that I'm curious what in your opinion can Miami do to stop Trevor Lawrence what's the best way to attack this rookie quarterback make him hold the football and then don't make his escape easy I think that's the best way uh, not only a rookie quarterback but any quarterback when he's not on time that clock in the quarterback's head is moving going I know something bad is going to happen because I'm not supposed to have the football, right? This is supposed to be gone. This is supposed to be executed. We're moving on to the next play, but I still have the football in the pocket. So what happens in those situations? When you let an athletic guy like Trevor Lawrence out of the pocket, they make plays off script and they have a, a knack for making bigger plays off script. So I think you have to be able to pressure the pocket but you can't make it an easy escape for Trevor Lawrence because he's athletic enough to run past you, to run by you, to find uh, a first down when you have him in third and 11, and all of a sudden he scampers for 13. Those are the types of plays that demoralize a defense and really gen, you know, kind of put some life into an offense. Uh, I, when I watched him against Cincinnati earlier in the season, he made a lot of those plays early, and that offense thrived because they found like, 
you know, they, they were going to win that game. They had a belief that at least they can move the football offensively, score some points. They had a chance until the end of that game, but they really believed it, it looked like they played with more confidence. That's the thing the Miami Dolphins have to take away from Trevor Lawrence and the Jags offense early. Close the net, get a sack or two, maybe get a tackle for loss in the running game, which we talked about against James Robinson. That kind of puts doubt in your mind. It gets that that losing mentality creeping back in that are we really, do we really have the right play? Do we really have the right plan? I think if the dolphin defense can do that early, I think that's the best way to kind of take some confidence or maybe demoralize what the Jags want to do offensively and, and maybe slow down Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. And you put him behind the scoreboard too. That also limits their options as far as James Robinson goes to, right? Like you, you can't run the ball if you're down by multiple scores that's right. over and over again. And I think that's, that, there's a whole other point there about how this defense has performed this year. Like They've only really had leads a couple of times, and one of those was the Raiders game, which got away from them, and then the Patriots game early in the season. But I thought last year, and I remember tweeting this after, during the Jacksonville game, Miami got to a 14-0 lead, and I was like, I'm excited to watch this defense play with a lead because of all they have in the secondary, the pass rush waves they have. Maybe that'll be the key to get things going. And that takes us into our first mailbag question here, John. It comes in from at dquick0498. He says, what's going on with our fourth quarter defense? Is it just bad or are they tired or worn down? What's going on? What say you, John? Well, it's tough to put, you know, a finger on it because it's been different things. You know, when you talk about the offense, we talk about a number of different issues that have hurt the, the consistency of this offense and scoring points and moving the football. When we look on the defensive side, it's not one player getting beat. You know, it's not one guy losing coverage. It's not one guy that's just missing the quarterback or not getting to the quarterback. It's a number of different players. So my easy answer to that is it needs to be more of team. It needs to be more of we're, we're talking, you know, Emmanuel Ogba on one play, and then all of a sudden Van Ginkle makes a play. You know, Jerome Baker gets a stop on third down, then all of a sudden you have Alan and Roberts make a tackle for loss in the next series. So you have multiple guys getting in involved in making a stop or getting off the field. Um, I just think that, it, you know, everybody's kind of looking at the superstars uh, to make big plays, and they've been just as guilty as giving up plays as anybody else on the defense. So I think it's it starts with a team, it ends with a team. So if you get multiple guys making plays and just not Christian Wilkins in the run game or, or you know, somebody else breaking through the line of scrimmage on a uh, – or an Eric Rowe to, to get a stop behind the line of scrimmage on a blitz, you have to have multiple guys making plays, and that's when it gets contagious. So that, that would be my simple answer. It's just not one guy. It's the group. And once the group starts making plays and we start talking about different players, now you know you're on to something defensively. Yeah, that, that's very well said. I just keep looking at this defense like something's got to give here pretty soon because they're, they're just so much better than what the production has been so far. And I think eventually we'll find it. I just hope it happens sooner than later. We can get the season going back in the right direction. Let's stick here. Another question for the def- or for you, John, about the defense. It comes from at the Shasta. What a great handle that is. How does the defense at, at Javon Holland and Jalen Phillips have one of the best defensive minds in the game at head coach, but get worse? And I, I mean, I guess that kind of goes back to the last question, but what do you think is the reason for the regression so far? Is, is it like you mentioned, the, the star players we knew that were going to be guys that made plays throughout games last season, not having the same year? Is that your kind of your answer there as well? I guess, you know, 
it just seems like in football, it's an emotional game, right? You play with emotion. It's a, it's a violent game. It's an aggressive type of game. And when you start on a positive, when you get that positive mojo going, it gets contagious in a hurry. When that negativity kind of creeps in and you lose a couple of games and you can't find your footing, boy, it's tough to fight that off. And I think that's the mindset right now of the Miami Dolphins. Yeah, they're, they may be practicing pretty well and not a lot of mistakes, but it's sure creeping into the game on Sundays. And it's, it's happening too frequently to put some wins in the win column. So I think they need, this team needs to have something good happen to it. And this is the perfect scenario. You have a winless team in Jacksonville going to London that is as desperate as the Miami Dolphins for a victory. And you feel like if, if this team can start fast, if this team can create a turnover on defense, if it's Holland getting a pick, if it's Ogba getting a strip sack, if it's Wilkins forcing a fumble or, or a Landon Roberts or Jerome Baker, if somebody gets their hands on the football, um, it could turn in that direction. And then you kind of ride that wave and, and you keep finding different guys to make plays. So that would be, that would be, that would be the perfect scenario for the Miami Dolphins. Now, whether you get new guys on this football team and you're trying to put them in positions, you know, I, I think Javon Holland has been excellent in, in play at, at a safety position. I, for, for a young guy, he's doing a terrific job. And, and I think, you know, Jalen has done a, a really nice job of improving. You know, he's taken baby steps during preseason. He gets into the regular season. Now he's starting to find his footing. So maybe that's, that turns some pressure up on the edge of the of the Dolphin defense. And get you the play like you talked about. One play can maybe make a difference here and change things. And you've officially got me excited for, you know, this next stretch of games, John, talking about the possibility of turning it around. Because I still think this roster just has so much more than what they've given you. And I think one of the things or reasons for excitement as well could be back at that quarterback position. Let's go back here and finish up here with the fan question about the quarterback position. And I'd like to get a quick comment in before you answer, John, because sure. at Jose R. Souza wants to know, and he asks this, the way, he phrases it in a way that makes me want to give you this little kind of precursor here. He says, now that Coach Flores' job seems to be on the line, do you think he'll let Tua have more freedom to play? So let's go ahead and nip that in the bud, because... <laughs> Who says, I'm, I'm not trying to call you out here, Jose, but who says Flores' job is on the line? Like, look, a four-game slide is not great, but we can still see the forest for the trees, right? Like, I just want to clear that part of the question aside first because, John, I think it's way too quick to start making those assumptions. And like you mentioned, football is an emotional game and there's going to be runs, there's ups and downs. Sometimes, you know, progress is not linear. But I just wanted to get your take here on the other part about freedom for Tua. What can Tua do to really... And I'm using Jose's question to kind of form my own question. What can Tua really do to earn, you know, and not that he doesn't have it now, but to really develop and and implant that unquestioned trust in his decisions and control of the offense so that he can go out there and just play free? What can he do if he hasn't already done that, John? Well, I think he was on, well on his way to, to doing that. I think he's got the belief of the guys in the huddle and the belief of the guys in the locker room, and that's that's a big part of it. Now, obviously, to get that, you have to prove yourself. You have to go out and make plays. You have to be productive. You have to, to win some football games, and, and that's that's where Tua is right now in his career. He's had a chance. He's had time last year. He's had time now this year. Sit back, watch. Take it all in, and now are you going to be better for it? This is an, almost like a second opportunity or a second chance this season to lead this offense. And, and it, the spotlight's squarely on him. Now, he can't do it all by himself, obviously, 
but that opportunity is there. So every day at practice, pulling guys you know, aside in meetings and telling them where you want them, taking control of the offense, having the liberty at the line of scrimmage to get out of a play you don't like, like he did against New England that you referenced. Those are all things that endear yourself to the guys in the huddle, the guys on the sidelines, because everybody's paying attention. Whether you know, whether you see it or not is completely irrelevant. Everybody knows on every play who's doing right, who's doing wrong, who's making a play, who's not making a play. So that's where Tua is right now. Can he go out and just play the game and do, do his thing? Yes, he can. But at the end of the game, those days that you walk off as a victor, you, you kind of, you can, you can grade yourself a little more lenient when you go in front of your team and say, listen, that was my mistake there. I got to get the ball here. I got to do this. I got to get out of that play. When you lose, it becomes, that spotlight becomes brighter and guys know that. So I think that's where two is right now. He has an, a second chance to take over the lead of this offense, the lead of this team, and it all starts on Sunday against Jacksonville. That's why I love having you on, John, the perspective of a former player talking about those kind of, you know, the intricacies of the game of the quarterback position and just how it all works as far as the locker room goes, player interactions. I mean, there's so much more that goes into this than what you see on Sundays for three hours. Like I used to work an insurance job, John, and they would tell me that, you know, going into your meetings to try to sell insurance was like playing in the NFL. Like, I mean, <laughs> with shades of gray there, obviously, <laughs> but in terms of like that meeting is your game day on Sunday and all the prep work you do to know your product yeah. and p make your pitch. It's all part of the process for preparation. So I love that perspective, John. I appreciate it so much. I thank you again for having, for coming on the show with us here, John. And you know, we've been to two home games this year to Together. They've been really rough games to watch. A win on Sunday against Jacksonville gets me back hyped for the Falcons game to eat some key lime pie and watch that game and hopefully get to three and four at that one. But it starts here in Jacksonville to get to two and four. John, thank you again for your time, my friend. You said it all. You got it, Travis. Thanks for having me. Let's continue the mailbag here with just myself on the podcast. And I might have to save some of these for next week, too, because we have a bunch of really good ones and some of them are evergreen. So I appreciate you guys writing in. And if you don't hear from me here on the podcast, we also have a publish or we also publish rather a written piece on MiamiDolphins.com answering three of your questions every single week. So if you don't get your question answered, keep bugging me about it. I'll get to it eventually, I promise. Let's kick it off here with Pat Perkins at Patty Perk. Travis, if Miami was underwater tomorrow, where would you move the team and what would you call them? Zilla Washington and we just call them the Zillbillies because that's what you call people back in Zilla, where I've lived the last five years uh, up in Washington State. And it's a town of about 3,000 people, and the hillbilly Zilla thing kind of goes together. So they call them Zillbillies. So the Zilla Zillbillies. It'd be the best of both worlds for myself and my wife to go back home for her. So hope that answer uh, is, it satisfies for the, for the question. The Great Finsby asks, what's my biggest concern coming into Jags week? And I, I just want to see the defense cover and communicate and pass off better because Josh Boyer mentioned he needs to put them in a better position to succeed. And there were a few instances on the tape where zone droppers are covering grass and multiple of them. And I don't know if that's the players or the coaches or a combination of the two, but it's not what you want, obviously, guys covering grass and not other guys. I want to see less of that on tape when we watch this thing back early next week and just get those, those things buttoned up schematically for the defense and maybe whether it's players getting the execution right or the coaches, probably a combination of both, just getting that thing ironed out. All right, college three-pack coming up. I forgot, to, I forgot my record on this. 
But that wasn't really the point anyway. The point was to scout some college players and talk about the draft in the podcast ahead of draft season. And I want to get some more teams on the list and not just focus on the top ones, but we can't leave Georgia and Kentucky out this week. Give me the dogs, baby. You think visors are cool? Not this week. I really enjoy watching Kentucky this season, but you guys know how I feel about this Georgia team. Why don't we actually talk about the defense for once? Because I always just say they have a whole defense full of guys that could be pros at the next level. Defensive tackle Jordan Davis is six foot six and 340 pounds, but he plays fast. Like he's quick and, and explosive. He's got power. He's basically unblockable against both the run and the pass. He is a round one player. Keep your eye on big, big Jordan Davis. You can't miss him. Cornerback Darion Kendrick. He's a wide receiver convert, talking about Noah Igbenogany. Transferred from Clemson, his press skills, his mirror skills, exceptional feet at the line of scrimmage. He gets into phase and gets his head back to the football, and then you see those receiver skills. Very Xavier Howard-like in the way he tracks the football. It's very impressive. Who else we got here? Nolan Smith is a load, a big Sam type of edge rusher that I like in terms of he can rush the passer and hold the edge against the running game and he can run your tackle over in route to the quarterback he's also athletic as hell a former five-star linebacker slash edge rusher also I mean Adam Anderson Channing Tindall Chris Smith Devontae Wyatt Jamarie Saylor Latavius Brinney Quay Walker they're just absolutely loaded across the board offensively defensively but just watch that Georgia Kentucky game and on the Wildcats side they have some dudes too Darian Kennard he's you watch this way this guy moves and the way he's built we talk about sand in the pants right like being a guy that can drop the anchor and play with power in that base this guy's lower half build is is incredible and he might have the whole damn beach in there because he's got anchor and drive for days he just bowls dude over at six foot five 345 pounds I, he might be the top right tackle prospect in this draft right now. He's a very good player. And then also, he creates holes for running back Chris Rodriguez, who has breakaway speed. He's a fluid pass catcher. His ability to transition from route runner to ball catcher to runner again is really special. He's a real run-to-daylight type of runner. What else is on the schedule? Number 18, Arizona State is in Utah. And I always like watching good quarterbacks go up against Utah because they're always coached very well on defense. and They tackle, and they're just fundamentally sound. I love me some Jaden Daniels from ASU. He can scoot and score from anywhere on the field. I think he had a 51-yard touchdown run either last week or a couple weeks ago. Super athletic, very thin build, but he's a touch thrower who can layer the football. I think there's a lot of meat on the bone with his game, and that's kind of a scouting lesson I'm trying to apply as I go on here. Like, project the player, don't grade who he is right now. Something I learned from some of my misses in the past. And that's the approach I'm going to take here with Jaden Daniels. I think we also talked about Utah linebacker Devin Lloyd on the podcast once upon a time. Number zero, keep an eye on him if you can stay up until the early morning hours out here on the East Coast watching Pac-12 after dark. But he is a heck of a player as well. And you know what? I'm not a fan of this slate so much. I'm going to be out at the beach with the wife and and the daughter anyway. So not as thirsty this week. So we'll keep it to a two-pack here and get to the NFL picks and get the hell out of here for the weekend. Another 12-4 and week in the books after losing... On Thursday night football, your boy slept the London slate and 1 p.m. slate on Sunday. Had some hiccups in the late afternoon and missed the Sunday night game, obviously taking the Chiefs over the Bills in that game. But it brings us to 55 and 25 on the season, a 69% nice winning percentage. Shooting for three quarters here, so we got to keep improving. Let's keep this thing rolling. We took Tampa Bay last night in the TNF game. Felt pretty good about that. Don't know the result on Friday, even though recording this podcast 
Thursday before the game, I took Tampa Bay. Give me the Dolphins over the Jags. Give me the Packers over the Bears. I'm taking the Lions as an upset at home over the Bengals. I think when you get that close that often, eventually the levy's going to break. I think Detroit will break through. And the Bengals off that tough loss last week, playing a full overtime slate, I think that also has a way of wearing on you both emotionally and physically. Give me the Lions to get their first victory of the season. And they're pretty strong up front. And if there's one place you can get the Bengals, it's on their front offensive line. Give me Detroit. Give me the Colts over the Texans. I like the Rams over the Giants. Give me the Chiefs over the football team. Eventually, Kansas City is going to start turning it on. I think this is a good week to have that happen. Give me the Vikings over the Panthers. That's a tough one to pick right there, but I like the Vikings' ability to run the football and stay balanced and turn over Sam Donald on the other side of the football. Give me the Ravens over the Chargers. Give me the Browns over the Cardinals to end that perfect season, and the Dolphins will be popping champagne if that, in fact, happens. I think Cleveland can control that game with their running game and limit Kyler Murray's opportunities as well as take the football away. Give me the Raiders over the Broncos. Uh, you know, tough week for Ra- the Raiders, but typically when something like this happens, uh, you know, this is obviously unprecedented with what happened to the Las Vegas Raiders, but I see the players rallying behind the organization in that sense. So give me the Raiders over Denver. Give me the Cowboys over the Patriots. I think Dak is red hot right now and unstoppable. Steelers over Seahawks. I'm not picking the Seahawks without Russell Wilson. I think that he's one of the most valuable players in the league. And give me the Bills over the Titans on Monday Night Football. That's going to be my time, guys. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. You can follow me on Twitter at Wingfield NFL. Follow the team at Miami Dolphins. Check out the Fish Tank podcast and the postgame show on 560 WQAM right after Dolphins and Jags. We're going to be on early for you guys this week. We'll also have a new podcast, Drive Time Podcast, on Sunday night for you. Check out the YouTube channel for our media availabilities. And, of course, last but not least, MiamiDolphins.com. Until next time, fins up. And Caroline, Daddy's coming home.